Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, amen. Good to see everybody this morning. Everybody doing good this morning? Happy 4th of July weekend. Hopefully you don't have to go to work tomorrow. And we of all people as followers of Jesus uh, have every reason to celebrate the 4th of July more than anybody else on the planet. Because Galatians says that uh, it is uh, Christ set us free to be free, and we should no longer submit to any form of bondage or slavery. We are free on the inside out, and that's good news. And if you're here today and you haven't experienced that kind of freedom, it would be my prayer, my goal, God's goal, that you meet Jesus for the first time and let him set you free. And then you will have the greatest 4th of July you've ever had. Amen? Now, uh, we're still in the book of James, and uh, the good news is we finished, we're in the final chapter, and last week we covered verses 1 through 6, and that was passing the money test, and so you can rest easy, we're not talking about money today. And we're going to move on to another subject because that's what James does. And quite honestly, I would prefer preaching last week's message again, because that one's easier for me. Today's message is on the subject matter of patience. Not my strong suit. I'm just going to confess it. Confession's good for the soul. Your pastor's confessing. I don't struggle with patience, though. I struggle with impatience. And, and, and we're going to learn about this today, how we can push through this thing, and how we should all exercise patience in our life. It should be part of the Christian experience. You and I, just like we experience freedom more than the rest of the world, we should have the ability to have patience more than the rest of the world. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's written in, in Greek, and there's, it's really defined in its, in its language and definitions. And so there's two words for patience uh, predominantly. One is uh, macrothumeo, and the other is hypomone. Now, in this particular passage, verses 7 through 11, it appears five times, just in this short passage. But, so the subject is patience, okay? And, and, and James actually uses bookends for this letter he wrote, and patience are the bookends. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. Now, here's the thing. Hypomone just means to endure or to persevere. It means to be patient. But the other word, macrothumeo, is a cool word. Macro means long. Thumeo is tempered. Thumeo, we get our words like thermostat, thermometer, thermos. And so uh, to be long-tempered, to be patient. There was a story I heard about a, little, a classroom of third graders, and the teacher was going to quiz them. They were talking about the inventions that had, they had experienced in their life. They said, what do you think the greatest invention you've experienced is in your life? And so a little girl said, I think it's the cell phone. Another little boy said, I think it's the computer. Another little girl raised her hand, and she said, uh, I think it's the airplane. Another little boy raised his hand. He said, thermos. And the teacher's like, thermos? Why do you think the thermos is the greatest invention? She said, he said, because some days my mommy puts hot soup in my thermos, and at lunchtime, it's still hot. And sometimes my mommy puts cold chocolate milk in my thermos, and at lunchtime, it's still cold. And she said, well, that's awesome, but why does that make that a great invention? He said, it keeps hot stuff hot and cold stuff cold, and how does it know which one she sent? <laughs> I thought that might just go right over your head, but it worked, Okay. Now, here's the thing. That's what we're supposed to be, like thermoses. We're supposed to know when to be hot and when to be cold. And sometimes in moments, in seasons, in times, in, in circumstances in our life, we get real hot when we ought to be cool. 
And sometimes in circumstances, because of the things in our life, we get real cold when we ought to be warm. And and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we need to exercise and activate patience in our life. And we're going to kind of uncover the fact that we all struggle with this from time to time. And so the question I guess I would begin with is, anybody in here have know somebody that's impatient? Just raise your hand. Even if it's yourself, you know. Uh, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Uh, maybe it's a, a, somebody you work with, a coach. We all know people who are impatient, and sometimes we wear that shirt ourselves. We are that impatient one. And so as I said before, I struggle with it, and, 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 and I've always struggled with it, but I want to be very candid about it. Impatience for me and anybody else is a sin. Now, those are hard words, right? I mean, to say, man, you don't know the world I live in. I have every reason to be impatient. We're going to talk about that today. Impatience is a sin. How do I know this? Because impatience is is when we exercise selfish will. We have a timeline. We have a goal. We have things that we want to see accomplished. And when it doesn't happen, we act out on that. And sometimes we act out in anger. Sometimes in frustration, uh, sometimes in retaliation, and that is not a godly response. Secondly, I want you to know the reason that you and I, if you follow Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, you have to be patient is because patience is not something that you create yourself. You see, in Galatians, we learn that patience is a fruit. It is when, when when you are born again, When you have a relationship with Jesus, you surrender all of your brokenness to all of his perfection. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up abode. He lives in us. He marks us. He seals us with the seal of the promise, the coming of what he's going to do next. We are marked as the child of God on the outside to God. We're marked on the inside with the filling of the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he brings stuff with him. In Galatians, we find out these are called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, listen to this. This is Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you hear that word tucked away in there? Patience. You see, he brings patience and places it in you. Now, he goes on and he says, he says it's not just there, as, oh, that's nice to know. It's supposed to be energized. We've got to let it come out. We've got to let, let the Holy Spirit live through us. Listen to what he says in verse 25, uh, 24. He says, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Ouch. That's what that is. If we're born again, the Spirit lives with We're supposed to live by the Spirit and in accordance with the Spirit. And one of those fruits of the Spirit is patience. And so I was thinking about this, and I'm, I'm under conviction. This is a hard one for me, okay? This, I'm, I'm, I'm under the radar right now, and today I'll be tested, I know, because I've, I've told the Lord and i told the church I want to I be more patient. And, and so when I think about these nine fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Honestly, I can feel those fruits, eight of those fruits on a regular basis. But one of those, it doesn't shine all the time. And and so I want to learn more about it. And it's so good. It's good news. James rings in. James steps up to the plate. He says, I've got something for you. I've got something to help you energize and activate the fruit that's in you. Now, these fruits come from the Spirit of God, 
Before you're saved, you don't have those fruits. Now, you may have a fabricated or a synthetic variety of those fruits. You may have a form of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all of those, but they're not the authentic real thing. The real thing comes from God and is invested in you through the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's how we have to approach it. That when we need to exercise more patience, we need to release the Holy Spirit within us to exercise that patience through us. And sometimes it's difficult. So let me just find out in here, do a little survey. If anybody in here struggles with impatience or struggles with patience. Are you ready? Does anybody look at the timer on the microwave when you're warming something up? Raise your hand. Seriously? With a bunch of sinners? Does anybody ever take the food out before the bell dings saying your food is ready? Raise your hand. Are you serious? Wow. Does anybody ever feel like when you're watching the timer on the microwave, you've moved into some form of time warp where time moves at half speed? You ever felt that? Has anybody ever left the drive-through without your food because the fast food was not fast enough? Anybody? Does anybody ever get on the interstate and wish they had a faster lane that would be left of the fast lane? Okay? That's the world we live in. We all struggle with this from time to time. And God says you should have patience. Here's one for you. Kelsey was in the hospital for a month because her water broke. We go down there to the hospital and often nobody around. It'd be late in the afternoon or on the weekend. We'd get in the elevator. We would hit the six. The door just stands there gaping open like there's people trying to get in. So what do you do? You hit the little door close button. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody believe with me that that's a bad joke with no wires connected to it? You can hit it rapid fire like you're playing asteroids. Okay, you, you can hit it one time, hold it in real hard. The door does nothing. The door just stands there. And then one day, the door closes and you go up. You see, that's the world we live in. That's the world I live in. I'm wired and I always have been wired. And so things like that drive me absolutely nuts. I start thinking I should have taken the stairs. That would be a dumb decision. But I think that. And, and so that's the world we live in. And that's what we have to battle. So several years ago, my daughter Caitlin was 16, and, and she had a Volkswagen. She hadn't had it long, and, and it ran out. Well, she ran out of gas. It didn't have a choice in it. She thought it ran on air, and she called me, and she's hysterical. She's crying. She says, Daddy, I'm, I'm sitting at the traffic line, and my car's dead. I said, what's the gas needle say? It's on the left in the red. It's out of gas. She was at, in the intersection. She was under the light. She's in the heart of the intersection. People are blowing their horn, and she said, they're mean, you know, why you got to be so mean, you know. And so I went there, I was, on, I was close, I went and got a jug, got gas, and I'm pouring gas in the thing, and, and that it doesn't take gas quickly. And so there's a guy sitting there, he's blowing his horn at me. And everything in me wanted to go say, listen, you go put the gas in faster, I'll sit in your car and blow the horn at you, dummy. I mean, that's the way we feel. That's, anybody know what I'm talking about? Last week, I went to Lowe's, okay? I go to Lowe's. I get my things in my buggy, and I'm wheeling up there. And you know how we do? We start scoping early. Which one has the fewest people? Because we're in a hurry. I find there's a line here had four people. This line had one. I'm like, boom, I'm smoking in there. I'm rolling in. This is my spot, all right? I'm number two in line. 
I get in there, and all of a sudden, the lady at the register rung up something twice. Took her five minutes to figure out how to get it off. Meanwhile, these four people just going on through. And then about the time, I, and, I'm, I'm, and you know what I'm thinking, I need to jump lines. But it'll be like the interstate. I'm going to go over here, and then everybody's going to have a train wreck, and all those are going to go, so I didn't move. She gets the thing taken off, and then he gets his phone out, and he said, hey, Home Depot has this for 50 cents left less she called the manager I'm like here here's here's a dollar just go okay and that's the world that's the world I'm living I'm living in now now God the whole time is probably laughing and frustrated at the same time he's, he's probably thinking you've been a Christian for 50 years you can't even handle that I'm in patience 101 and I know I got an F because that's the lowest grade he had and probably today, I'll end up in taking the class over again because he's working on me. I want you to know patience and all of the other fruits of the Spirit are things that God wants to come out of our life. A Christian experience should be different for us from the inside, and it should be different from the world that watches our life. And so we should learn to be patient. <laughs> I had somebody come to me afterwards. He said, you want to know how to fix the patient's problem at Lowe's? I said, sure. He said, go to Home Depot. <laughs> Those people with orange aprons, they stay in the aisle when people show up. And so I may change that. I, I don't know. And so what gives James the right to weigh in on patience? Does he, what does he know about patience? He's a pastor, right? He's the pastor at the church at Jerusalem. He knows a thing or 10 about patience as a pastor. You see, a pastor is a shepherd and a shepherd leads sheep. And sheep do something really, really well. You ready? They wander off. That's what y'all do. You just want to look around. See the empty seats? They're wandering. It's 4th of July. It's a good weekend to wander. Okay? I'm glad you're here. They wander. And so the, so the pastor grows impatient. It's really a struggle. So James is going to weigh into this thing, and he's going to help us know not only is it a fruit of the Spirit that we ought to walk in, he wants us to know, he wants me to know, he wants you to know that patience is something that God uses in every part of our life to accomplish a greater ending. You understand that, right? If you do, if, say you want to take up something new, play the piano or a guitar, you better have some patience. And let's say you decide to take up a new sport, maybe basketball or golf. You better have patience. Maybe you decide as a young couple to have a baby. You better have some patience because that baby is going to get to a place where it's no longer cool to use the bathroom in the diaper and you're going to potty train. You better have some patience. Maybe you just get married. <laughs> Young couple just got engaged. You better get some patience because marriage is coming. Patience is required for us to, to us, for us to accomplish anything of great significance in our life. And, and so in Romans 8.25, this is what it says. It says, if we hope, that word is elpis, to expect with confidence for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience it's good news good stuff is waiting on the other side of patience now in the book i said he has bookends of james i just want to read the first bookend just kind of get us on track bookend number one is found in james one beginning in verse two he says my brothers and sisters consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance 
or patience. He goes on and he says, and let endurance or patience have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. So God's goal in bookend number one is for you to know he allows things in our life that are difficult. He allows the person in front of you wanting to take 50 cents off. He allows that to perfect us, to make us more like his son, Jesus. Now, bookend number two is where we're going to spend our time today. And it's found in James 5, 7 through 11. And I'm going to be using King James today. Uh, sometimes I use the new, uh, new English translation, but I'm in KJV old school today. And uh, because it drives the point home better. On the back of your life guide... You can take some sermon notes, and I wish you would. Take some really good ones for your impatient friends. Make a copy of them and send them to your pastor because he needs your notes. Okay, now, the title of the message is Activating the Fruit of Patience. Activating the Fruit of Patience. James is going to give us three examples that we can look at and learn to have more patience. He begins in, and he says, he, for us to activate patience, we must be like the planter who waited the planter who waited now listen to what he says he's talking about a farmer and he says in verse 7 be patient everybody say patient therefore brethren unto the coming of the lord behold the husbandman or the farmer the planter he waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain everybody say patience be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Everybody say patient. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So James says, you want to activate patience in your life. It's already in there if you're a follower. It's already in there. But it needs to be exercised. It needs to come out. It needs to be activated. So he says, when, when you're in that moment where you're frustrated or you're impatient, Consider a farmer, a planter who waits. What does a planter do? What does a farmer do? He cultivates the soil. He works. He serves. He does what he's supposed to do. He breaks up the ground. He tills it. uh, And then he plants seed in the soil. Now, it's a little different today because we have access to a lot of water. But back in biblical times, his job, her job was over when they tilled the soil and planted the seed. Their job was over. They walked away in faith and in patience. They expected God to do what only God could do. And that is for the sun to shine and the rain to fall. The early rain, the latter rain would fall. Now, they had nothing to do with that. And if the early rain and the latter rain and the sun didn't shine, if none of that happened, they wouldn't receive a harvest at all. There would be no produce. Their livelihood, their future hung in the balance that I have done all that I'm supposed to do and I will patiently wait for what only God can do. That's a great lesson. That we just do what we're supposed to do in life and let God do what he wants to do. You know what that means? When I'm standing in line at Lowe's, God's on his throne. He knows them two ding-a-lings that's standing in front of me just like he knows the ding-a-ling that's standing behind those two. He knows us all. He's watching. He, 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 everything goes through his sovereign filter to happen. He's sovereign. And so he allows things. And in the heat of that, in the heat of that moment, we're just supposed to have patience. So I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I guess I'm supposed to stand here. What can I do while standing in line? Pray would be a good one. Rather than thinking all the stuff, 
Just simply pray. Consider the farmer who plants. Now, here's the thing. The, the, the planter certainly has a job to do. If he doesn't till the soil, if he doesn't plant the seed, you can have the early rain, the latter rain, and plenty of sunshine, and it means absolutely nothing to the farmer or to the planter because he didn't do his part. So the point is very clear. You and I have a job to do in this life, and there's things that are out of our control, and that's when God goes to work. James says, simply do what we're supposed to do and allow God to do what only he can do. And in the end, he will bless our life. Hebrews 10, 36 says, for you need patience or endurance in order to do God's will and so receive what is promised. Every delay, every setback, Every frustrating moment, every season, God won't waste a one of them. God wants to use them to perfect us into conforming into the image of Jesus. That's it. We have one goal. God has one goal for every one of us, to conform to the image of Jesus. One day in heaven, we get our glorified bodies, and we will all conform. Not just look like him, we'll act like him. We will be like him, and that's his goal. He's at work in us through every single setback, trial, and difficulty. In Philippians 1, 6, he says, Paul says, I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So it doesn't matter where you're at. On the job, in your home, in your school, on your team, in your neighborhood, with your children, with your parents, with your grandchildren, at the church, wherever you are, James is saying, just be like the planter who does his part and then simply waits on the Lord to do what only he can do. Now, to activate patience in our life, we, we are patient like the planter who waits. Number two, we are like the prophet who witnessed. Number two, example, we're to be like a prophet who witnesses. In verse 10 now, he says, so take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken or witnessed in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Everybody say patience. He says, you want to learn how to activate the patience in your life? Think about the prophets. The prophets are the men and women who proclaimed the truth of God's word and the truth of God in history. He said, consider them. He says, the next time you think you need to have a little personal pity party because things aren't fitting your schedule and aligning with your timeline, consider the prophets. Uh, these people lived for years patiently doing what God called them to do and allowing God to do what only he could do. And, and so I was thinking about some of, these, uh, some of these prophets of the Old Testament. They had every reason to get frustrated. I mean, they had every reason to get beside themselves, even to want to retaliate. And sometimes they prayed that God would retaliate on their behalf, and sometimes he would. But often the things in our life are so quick, and they're gone, and yet they become such huge things. Anybody in here convinced 
that the horn in your vehicle is a motivating force for the person in front of you whose foot lacks a nanosecond moving over to the gas pedal when the light turns green. You know what I'm talking about? You know, anybody ever blown their horn at you? You know how good that feels? (laughs) Don't play their part, okay? Often it's that that quick and we're, we're over it, we're gone. And the prophets lived for years walking patiently in obedience to what God had called them to do and that is simply to wait on the Lord. You see, to witness for the Lord and to have credibility, you must have patience. When we become impatient, it tarnishes our testimony. It wounds our witness. We're no longer as effective as we could be simply because we haven't exercised patience. A good example uh, in the Old Testament was Elijah. Elijah's a hero of mine. I look forward to meeting Elijah in heaven. One of the greatest stories in all of the Bible to me, short of Jesus being born and crucified, you know, that one. There's other people. Is Elijah is called to rebuke the Baal prophets. And there's 450 of them, right? And, and so he calls them all out there for a test. It's, it's a cool guy story. I know women love it, but it's really good for guys. Because what he does, he, he, he kind of bows up. And he goes out there and he says, listen, Baal prophets, go ahead, I'll let you go first. Go ahead and get your business ready. Set up the, the whole altar and, 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 and pray to your gods and see what happens. And, and so these 450 guys, they start cutting themselves and shouting and hollering, dancing and carrying on. And, and Elijah goes to him and says, hey, 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 ain't nothing happening. Maybe you need to like scream louder, dance harder. Maybe your God, he actually says, maybe your God went to the bathroom. Maybe you ought to go sing louder, but he's not doing anything. Well, nothing ever happens. And these prophets are dejected. They feel like they've already lost the battle. And Elijah is so cool, so calm, so patiently. He steps up and he says, let's get this thing back together. He he, he organizes the, 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 the altar again. He puts 12 stones around it. And he digs this ditch around the stones, and he says, that's too easy. He says, wet it down three times. Wet it down. That's not enough. Wet it down three times. And then he just humbly goes before God, and he basically says, God, show yourself strong. Be God. And the Bible says that fire came from heaven and just just lavished it, just consumed it. It says that flames reached out beyond the stones and licked up the water in the trenches, just devoured it. And then Elijah stands up and all of the prophets die. (laughs) That's a good win right there for team God, right? That's chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Chapter 19, King Ahab goes to his Yehu wife Jezebel and he says, hey, this is what Elijah did. He killed our prophets. And so Jezebel says, well, I'll kill him. Now Isaiah is on the run from a crazy woman. But I'm telling you, you read the whole book, Isaiah never loses his faith that God will show himself strong. He patiently endured adversity. And in the end, God does what only God can do. I think about Daniel. In chapter 6, Daniel has been deported from, uh, from Jerusalem. He's been taken into captivity But he still is patient. He's been removed from his people. He's a slave. But every day, three times a day, he would open his doors toward Jerusalem, his home, and he would pray. 
And he would pray one day, God, I'd like to go home. And, and so everybody hated Daniel because Daniel was brilliant because God's hand was upon him. The Bible says that the other leaders in the land began to hate Daniel so much they went to the king, King Darius, and said, listen, you need to write a decree that everybody has to bow down and worship you, and they can't pray to other gods. And he says, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So he wrote a decree. Meanwhile, Daniel's like, oh, good decree. Excuse me, i got to go to my room. He goes to his house, he opens the doors, and he prays three times. What happens? He gets thrown in the den of lions. You know the rest of the story. The next day the king goes down there because he's worried because he liked Daniel. He's Daniel, you're there. And he says, yeah, oh, king, live forever. I'm here. He said, the Lord closed the mouths of the lions. Daniel persevered. He had every reason to get impatient with God, impatient with his people, and yet he persevered. You keep looking through time. You find Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, 40 years, 40 years he witnessed about the Lord. 40 years he prophesied about how God wanted them to return to him. Not one record of a convert for 40 years. He did it every day, day in, day out, and no one ever changed their heart. You keep looking and you find Hosea. Hosea is a prophet that God said, I want you to marry a harlot, and her name is Gomer. That's two reasons not to marry her. And he married her. And she keeps going back into immorality, and God says, go get her. She looks like Israel, my people. And he'd go get her, and he would pull her out of this lifestyle, and he would love on her again, restore the relationship, and she would go away. Hosea never was impatient. He never lost his patience with God. He just continued to do what he was supposed to do while allowing God to do what God was supposed to do. And then I'm reminded of Joseph. Joseph is hated by his brothers because he got a cool jacket from dad. He gets cast into a, a pit. He gets sold into slavery. He gets accused by Potiphar's wife of, of uh, immoral activity. He gets cast into prison. And all the while, all the while, he just hung in there with God. He was just patient like, God, I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but you're my God. And I'm your man, and I'm going to stay right here in this prison God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. Ultimately, he rises in authority to second in command to the prime minister of Egypt, the greatest nation in the land. Why? Because God was going to deliver his family and the whole nation of Israel from a famine. He just hung in there, patiently waited on God. And I'm, rem I'm reminded of Stephen in the New Testament. As Stephen is prophesying, witnessing about Jesus, and, and, and they, the, the religious people hated him. So what do they do? They take him outside the city, and they stone him to death. And he just continued, even at the point of death. Listen what he says. In Acts 7, verse 59, he says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He said, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. They're rocking him, and he fell asleep. You see, the next time you find yourself in a place where your patience is tested, where you're in a trial, where you can put on display the authentic fruit of the spirit of patience in your life, James says, remember the planter who waited, and remember the prophet who witnessed. And all of a sudden, your situation should pale in comparison to the one that they live in. 
In Romans 15, 4, we're reminded in another place how we can look back sometimes and learn how other people dealt with difficult situations. He says in Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in former times was written for our instruction so that through endurance or patience and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's why it's so important that we read this book, that we saturate our mind and our being and our life with the word of God. Because everything that's ever been written, Genesis through Revelation, every syllable of every word, of every sentence, of God's eternal, infallible, living, loving word is given to help us live more completely, more perfectly for Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, since we are now surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance or patience the race that's set out for us. Revelation 1, 9, the book of Revelation, the eschatology or the future events of the world were given to one person predominantly. His name was John, the beloved disciple. He was close to Jesus. He patiently endured life's struggle because he knew Jesus. He loved Jesus and Jesus loved him. And he wrote the gospel of John. If, you, if you're a new Christian, you want to know where to begin to read the Bible? The gospel of John. And, and then he goes on and he writes first, second, third, John. And then he gets to write the book of the Revelation. And he says in the book of Revelation, the reason he got to write the book of Revelation, because he endured persecution patiently. Listen to what he says. He says, I, John, your brother, and the one who shares with you in persecution, kingdom, and endurance or patience that are in Jesus was on the isle called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus. He says, listen, because of my testimony, because of my conviction about the word of God, I was put on an island called Patmos, and I'm in the middle of it. He He says, and I was patient. I endured the persecution, and because of it, he says, I'm writing this book. I want you to know today that there are situations in my life, situations in your life, where if we exercise patience, it opens the door to the gifts of God. It certainly did in the lives of the prophets. It certainly did in the life of John the Revelator, and it's certainly true for us. So when we... If we want to learn how to exercise or activate the fruit of patience in our life, we've got to be like a planner who waits. We've got to be like a prophet who witnesses. And thirdly, we've got to be like a pioneer who won. A pioneer who won. Now, what does that even mean, a pioneer? A pioneer is a trailblazer, right? A pioneer is the first of all of them. The one that steps onto the scene first to kind of blaze the trail, to cut their way through the jungle. That's the pioneer. And this particular pioneer was patient and in the end he won. Now watch this. This is his third and final example. Verse 11, he says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience. Everybody say patience. He's still talking about it. He says of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, and the Lord is very pitiful or compassionate and of tender mercy. Now, why does he go to Job? Job, the book of Job is the oldest 
book in the Old Testament, oldest book in the Bible. It's the first one written. Uh, the book of Job is the most popular story among the Jewish community. Everybody's familiar with Job. The patience of Job. And so James says, you want to activate patience in your life? Consider Job. Now, what do we know about Job? Job was a righteous man. Job did it well. And Job had to go through hell and back to get to the other side. But he persevered. He endured. He was patient in the greatest trial recorded in all of the Bible. You see, in Job chapter 1, this is how it launches. He's got a resume. Listen, Job has a resume that should not look like he should need any patience. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He's off to a good start. And it goes down a little further down. It says, Job would send for his children and sanctify them. He would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's customary practice. That's how the book of 42 chapters launches. That's a good resume. That's a good dude, right? I mean, he's right with God. He's so right with God that he even worries about the people around him, his children. He would go get them and sanctify them just in case they got their hearts wrong. Just in case they started turning away from God. He said, I'm going to be here for you. I'm your intercessor. We're going to live for God. I mean, that was his life. But even in a life like that, sometimes things go sideways. And we have the opportunity to decide whether we will be patient in it or not. You just keep reading. The chapter doesn't even end. And Satan goes before God. And he says, the only reason Job is righteous is because you give him all the stuff. You've spoiled him. You take away the stuff, and he won't be like that with you. And so God, for some reason, allows Satan to have his way with Job. Everything but his life. He takes away his animal. He's a rich man. He takes away all of his animal kingdom. They die. He takes away his children. They die. He takes away his home. He takes away his friends. He takes away his wealth and his possessions. He takes away everything he has. And then he allows Job to be just completely consumed with infection, with boils. And then his friends that are left come along and begin to blame him about how it's his fault that he's got sin in his life. And then he's got an encouraging wife who says, Job, you should just curse God and die. Now, we pick on Job's wife sometimes, but in fairness, she had lost all the stuff too. And she was in the gutter too. Now, that's chapter one. That's chapter one. And there's 42 chapters. It says in Job chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Yet in all of this, Job never sinned against the Lord. He's so cool. He just hung in there. He's like, man, that's when he says, naked to naked. I got here naked. I'm going out of here naked. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. He's good. Wow. So James says, the next time you start to have a little pity party, just remember James. Excuse me, remember Job. Job went through it and he never sinned against God. Now, 
What happens when, like Job, we just keep trudging through it? We just keep a, a smile in our heart that just kind of comes out in our countenance and, and we just press on in adversity with patience before God. Job chapter 42. Now, I will tell you, those 40 chapters between 1 and 42, Job, he's got a lot of questions. Oh, he just rings them out. God, I, 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 he sounds like us, but he's not impatient with him. He's just questioned. I want you to know something. It's okay for you to ask God. In fact, if you have any questions about your life, about your future, about the things in the world, ask him. He's a big God, certainly big enough for any questions. In fact, you can't create a question he hadn't already heard. Amen? Because he hears your questions before you ask them. He's already heard it. And he will answer you in time. So Job's answering questions. Now, there's a place where Job, you know, he's just, he's got some good questions. He's just bowed up on God. I want to know. I want to know. And there's a place, it's so cool, where God says, hey, Job, 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 time out. I need you to put your big boy underwear on because I got a few questions. He said, where were you at when I cast the Pleiades into the sky? Where were you at when I told the ocean to stop and come no further? Where were you at when I created the, a birth from a womb? Where, where, where were you at in all that? Job, he don't have an answer. And in chapter 42, we get it. What did God give Job for going through the trial with endurance, perseverance, and patience? This is so sweet. Watch this. Job 42, verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? And Job says, surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And you said, listen now, and I will speak. And I will question you, and you will answer me. Now watch this, verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I'm telling you, that makes the hair on my arms stand up. He moved from a distant awareness, a head knowledge of the greatness, the vastness of our great and glorious God to a fresh view, to look into the face of God. He said, I heard it, I heard it, I heard it, but I can say today, I've seen it. That's what God wants for you. And when we have these trials in our life, these things that, 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 that press on our patience, nerve, God says, I just want you to see me. I'm just sending, allowing this stuff. I just want you to see me. He had a new view of God. Now, not only did he get a fresh view, you read the rest of the story and it says, after this, Job lived 140 more years and he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation and so Job died old and full of days. That means a good life. It also says he, God doubled everything he ever had. He just wanted Job to see God. He wants you to see him. Now, I want to give you this conclusion. How do we do that? 
How do we activate and release the Holy Spirit within us and allow patience that's in us if we're saved to come out on the outside? When we get in that situation, maybe it's a diagnosis of a sickness or an illness, maybe it's a crisis in a relationship, maybe it's a wayward child, maybe it's a boss who seems to hate our guts, uh, maybe it's whatever flavor you know that causes you to begin to lose your patience and to begin to get frustrated. James tells us how we do it. And we read right through it. And I don't know if you noticed it or not. So we need to go back for just a second. This is how we do it. In James, verses 7 through 9, there's three amazing expressions. How do we activate patience? He said, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. And then he doubles down on it. He amplifies it. He says, be patient for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And then he, if that's not enough, he says, I'm going to hit you one more time. He says, be patient because the judge standeth before the door. Do you see the progressive nature of that? He says, man, he's coming back. That is what we call the inevitable return. And he's coming back soon. It draweth nigh. That's the imminent return of Christ. But not only that, he's standing at the door. That is the immediate return of Christ. Church, I want you to know something. No matter what happens in your day today or tomorrow, Jesus is coming back. No matter what happens in your world, Jesus is coming back. It may seem like it's the end of the world for you, but I want you to know it's not. Jesus is coming back. And, and, and when we get the fact that the living Lord Jesus, who, who died on a cross for you and for me, was buried in a grave for three days, rose from the dead 40 days later, mounted a cloud, and ascended back to heaven to prepare our place, the scripture says, he's coming back. He's coming back soon. He's already standing at the door waiting to get back. Amen. Now, this is the cool part. This is the cool part. In this very room, there's people like, that sounds good. And boy, I'd like for that to be true. But I just don't know. I just don't know if I can believe that. Why? Really, I got a really good reason, Pastor. Okay, what's your really good reason? I've probably never heard it before. 2,000 years, that's my reason. He's been gone for 2,000 years, Pastor. And you can read your Bible, Pastor. Peter thought Jesus was coming back before he died. James, his half-brother, thought he was coming back before he died. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, thought Jesus was coming back before he died. It's been 2,000 years. If he's coming back, if he's really coming back, why has he not come back yet? I want you to know something. Scripture is full of prophecies about the return of Christ. So so much more information about Jesus' second return, his second coming, than his first coming. And get this, it was 4,000 years before Jesus came the first time from when God said he was coming. 4,000 years Jesus came. It's been 2,000 years and Jesus has not come yet. 
So what do we do with that? We keep reading our Bibles. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter. Verse 3 of chapter 3. He says, above all, understand this. In the last days, blatant scoffers will come being propelled by their own evil urges, saying, where is his promised return? The more you hear people say, he's not coming back, it's been 2,000 years, the closer we get. He says, in the last days, blatant scoffers will say it's been 2,000 years. He's not coming back. So Peter goes on. He says this. He says, for ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately suppress this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and earth was formed out of the water and by means of water. Through these things, the world existing at that time was destroyed when it was deluged by water, which is the flood, Noah's flood. Verse 7, but by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire. He judged once in flood, he'll judge again in fire. There's a reservation, a standing reservation for this globe to be judged by fire. He says, by being kept for the day of judgment, and destruction of the ungodly. It's not, for, it's not for the children of God. It's for the ungodly. And then he says this, verse 8. Now, dear friends, do not let this one thing escape your notice. A single day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years are like a single day. Did you get that? Between the creation of mankind and the coming of Jesus, 4,000 years. That's just a few days for God. 2,000 years since Jesus came until this very day. Just a couple of days for God. And then he says this. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape your notice. I'm sorry, verse 9. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being, what's the word? Patient. He's patient toward you because he does not wish for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. Why has Jesus waited 2,000 years? Because he's patient. James says, church, you need to be patient because God is patient with you. It's amazing to think that the reason that Jesus hadn't come back yet is that he's patient with people because he wants people to be saved. And when that patience ends, when that time the last person is born again, Scripture says Jesus is going to descend from heaven and he's going to stop in the air and he's going to gather believers, both dead and living, to be with him to ascend back into heaven for a great reward celebration and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Meanwhile, seven years of absolute hell are going to break loose on this earth, judging the ungodly. But at the end of the great tribulation, the end of that seven years, the Bible says that Jesus is going to mount up and he's going to return with his angels and the saints. 
and we're coming back to this earth and he's going to make everything right. This world will be made in the pre-sin condition just like the garden and we're going to live here for a thousand years. And James says, he's coming. He's coming soon. He's standing at the door. And here's the question. He has been patient with us. And maybe it's you that he's being patient with today. Maybe today it's you. He's told you about himself. He's introduced himself to you. He sent people into your world to help you be directed toward God and his reality. But you've rejected him. And maybe today it's your opportunity to experience and no longer hear about God, but to see God with your own eyes. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What an incredible letter. What an incredible truth. But what if Jesus returned today and we heard the message and we felt this deep pull at our soul, at our heart of God inviting us into his family and out of the world and we simply just kept walking by I want you to know today God loves you right where you are every single one of you no matter what you've done no matter what you haven't done he just loves you it's God and he did something about you through Jesus his son he died in your place. And on this very day, if you haven't seen God, if you don't know God, you can simply say to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that. And God, in this moment, I believe that Jesus came to this world from heaven to die in my place upon a cross for me. And I receive his gift of grace upon my life. I believe he rose again from the dead on the third day. I believe he's alive right now. And I believe he could come today. And if he does, I want him to be coming for me. You've been patient with me. I want Jesus to come into my life. Save me. Pray that prayer and God will hear it and save you today. Maybe you're already saved, but you're like the pastor. You just needed to hear today. That God is patient with us and we need to exercise patience with others. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and celebrate you. We thank you, God, that our nation will celebrate freedom tomorrow. God, we thank you that our celebration of freedom is different than the world's. Our celebration of freedom is from the inside out. That Jesus has liberated us from our sin condition. That we are free and God, we're reminded today that one of the freedoms we have is to exercise the fruits of the Spirit in our life to learn to live in patience because you have been patient with us. God, if there's someone today who received Jesus for salvation, let them go public with their decision, the greatest decision they'll ever make in their eternal existence. 
God, our altar is open this morning. We pray that you'll convict our hearts to be witnesses, to be patiently planting seeds and waiting, and God, to be patient in every situation because in the end, we win. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.